I'm Jake Sherman, and welcome to a special edition of The Daily Punch, brought to you by Punchbowl News. I spoke on Monday with Ron Dermer, the Israeli Minister for Strategic Affairs. Dermer is a well-known figure in Washington, especially for Daily Punch listeners and Punchbowl News readers. He was ambassador to the U.S. from 2013 to 2021. In his current role, he's responsible for the U.S.-Israel relationship. Since Hamas's October 7th attack on Israel, Congress has not provided a single extra dollar to Israel. Aid to Israel has been coupled with aid to Ukraine and Taiwan and has been stuck in Congress. Speaker Mike Johnson tried to offset additional aid to Israel with cuts to the IRS, but that fell flat. More recently, he tried to pass a clean Israel bill, and that didn't pass either. We spoke about that, the situation in Gaza, the humanitarian situation in the Strip, and other critical issues in the relationship between the U.S. and Israel. I am pleased to be talking to Ron Dermer, the Israeli Minister for Strategic Affairs, who is in charge, at least in part, a part of his charge is the uh, U.S.-Israel relationship, U.S.-Israel ties, talking to the White House. Um, and Mr. Dermer is a well-known figure in Washington, well-known to our readers and listeners. He was the ambassador for, uh, to the United States from 2013 to 2021, a close advisor uh, of Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. I appreciate you being here. Let's dig in. You are five months into a brutal war with Hamas, nearly five months. Uh, and the United States Congress has provided exactly zero dollars. Uh, of aid to help Israel beyond what has already been programmed and already been appropriated over the years. Uh, you've long been a observer of the American political system and of this relationship. How do you explain this prolonged pause, I guess we'll call it? Well, uh, first of all, it's good to be with you and to see you again. It's been, Thank I you. Think, seven years. Um, yes, sir. Uh, second, obviously, we're very grateful for the assistance that we get from the United States to the tune of uh, about $3.8 billion a year. 3.3 is uh, in foreign military financing, which basically allows us to buy American military platforms uh, to help us defend ourselves, and about a half a billion in the missile defense systems, which have proven so important during this war, because Hamas has fired about 12, 13,000 rockets at us, and we've also had rockets fired from us in the north, and that's really been help us defend it. I think what you're referring to, obviously, is the supplemental package that has been going around uh, in your system, and I was hoping you can tell me, because all these, <laughs> all these twists and turns, you know, it starts in the in the White House, and then it goes to the Congress, and the Congress adds something, and then the Senate takes something, adds something else, and then this gets taken out, and that gets taken out. So I've stopped trying to predict it, and everybody in Israel comes to me as a, supposedly the resident expert on how these things work in the United States. And I'm like, I thought I knew how these things work, but it's very, very complicated, you got a lot of internal domestic issues that have been added into it. You've got the Ukraine issue that has been added to it. Um, I can only just tell you, Jake, that we have obviously serious needs in Israel. We are very appreciative of uh, of the of the support that Israel got as part of this uh, Senate package. I think it was around seventeen billion dollars. About half of that, if your listeners don't know, actually goes to the United States to replenish its own uh, stockpiles in the region. Um, and also to pay for operations that they're currently conducting, because the United States and the Middle East is also dealing with the threats. The Houthis that have closed the Bab al-Mandeb waterways up, and you've been engaged in operations there. So about half, about $8 billion there is for the United States. Uh, and Israel's close to about $9 billion increase in spending for uh, missile defense systems that we uh, badly need, and also uh, uh, other munitions 
that are critical for our defense uh, and also other uh, monies that will help uh, Israel defend itself. So I hope I don't want to get into the middle of your, uh, you know, take you are in the middle of it. You are in the middle of it, whether you like it or not. Jungle, but listen, we just hope we hope that we can get that badly needed assistance uh, for Israel as soon as possible. I don't want to. What was it? Was it Bismarck who said, don't watch uh, uh, sausage making and legislation? Uh, and he yeah. didn't even know about what was happening in the American Congress. But uh, uh, we hope it will pass as soon as possible. And we feel blessed, frankly, to have support on both sides of the aisle. We know this is not quite about Israel. It's about other issues that have been thrown in. And I hope that somehow this Rubik's Cube will come together and we'll get the assistance we need, because we think uh, in defending ourselves, we're also defending our common interests. Uh, in the region, because the United States here uh, has a, a dependable ally uh, in Israel, and we're fighting Iran and all its allies, Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis, everyone else. And I think our victory ultimately is an American victory as well. That's how we will be seen in the region. And the sooner we get what Churchill said, the tools we need uh, to finish the job, the better. Let me ask you this. One thing I hear all the time in the Capitol uh, is that um, aid for Ukraine is needed imminently, Israel is okay for now. I wonder how you'd respond to that, to that, that matrix. I mean, you can't speak on behalf of Ukraine. I understand that, but how, how imminent, how, how imminent is that need on on Israel's behalf? I think, I think we need the aid yesterday, uh, because it's very important as we're doing also our planning. Remember, we're not just dealing with one front. We're dealing not just with Hamas in the South. We're dealing with Hezbollah, uh, in the north, we're dealing with the Houthis are continuing fire. We have Shia militias in, in Iraq. We have a lot of different forces that are fighting us. Uh, and the sooner we get that aid, uh, the better the situation uh, will be. And I don't want to compare Israel to Ukraine and their urgency no. of their needs versus the urgency of our needs. But I can just tell you, we're 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 very eager. We were hoping that this would be done actually last year uh, in the December, uh, obviously it didn't happen. And it's stretched now January and February. Now people are worried in March. I understand it may be roped into your shutdown, uh, issues as well. So as the supplemental package turns, I just go on every day and obviously go to you first and other people in Washington to get the latest information on what is happening to this aid package. Cause I'm supposed to know about this in Israel. So I got to tell people what's going to happen. It's very hard for me to see exactly how this is going to wind its way through the system. I'm confident that ultimately it will happen. And I think because ultimately it will happen, I think uh, pretty much the sooner the better. Yeah, I mean, listen, some of the cross currents internally are number one, um, people want to pay for this package. They don't want to incur additional deficit, which is, you you saw some of that when you were ambassador, I, not vis-a-vis -vis Israel, I don't think. And I think there's other, there's a strain in the Republican Party right now that is turning to be more more, you know, anti-interventionist and against aid, generally speaking. I think I think it's a tough time for foreign aid. And, and to be honest with you, I think we are, we're in February. We have two deadlines coming up. Um, we have a new Speaker of the House, you might have noticed, who is not uh, not as practiced in the ways of, of leadership that, that has uh, uh, struggled to get his footing in some respects. And I think that's that's part of the part of the dynamic. Now, let me ask you this. I won't ask you to respond is, to that. I think that yeah. the, the prime minister spoke to President Biden, I mean, many, many months ago, who said he was committed to getting the assistance. He spoke to uh, Senator Schumer, who said he was committed to getting the assistance to Israel. And he spoke to Speaker Johnson, who said he was committed. And I myself spoke to him at one point. And uh, they all say that they're committed to doing it. And how it gets done, I'm going to leave to you and 
smarter people to figure out how that happens. But listen, I'm I'm hopeful uh, that it that it will get done, and uh, and and I hope, as I said, the sooner the better. Famous last words that they want to get it done. I, listen, I think it's I think it will get done. I don't know how it'll get done. I think it'll get done through some le- legislative maneuvers, but th- no difference to you guys. Um, now. Let me ask but you if some. I tell, some bro- if I tell the Israeli government that Jake Sherman says it's going to get done, I think that's headline news for me. So that's that's, that's enough it. for me. If you say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. <laughs> that's, that's that's it. So listen, you let me just ask you zoom out a little bit. You served in Washington during some of the most consequential years for the for the U.S. Israel relationship, um, and I think we're seeing. And this started probably when you were here, but we're seeing, you know. Uh, increased skepticism from the left uh, on Capitol Hill toward Israel. I would say if you put a clean bill on the floor tomorrow, which Mike Johnson did not do and got a lot of flack for that, um, you would get 400 votes in the House, 390, something like that, a huge majority of support for Israel. But you still have members of Congress going to the floor, Rashida Tlaib and some other folks saying Netanyahu is a war criminal and all this stuff. I mean, how do you explain this and and what is the react? What is your reaction to that kind of stuff? Stuff that you saw also when you were here. Listen, I think it's unfortunate, but as you said, I don't think it represents the vast majority of the American people or even the votes in Congress. I think we we have broad support on both sides of the aisle. We've been blessed with that. We've been blessed to have administrations, both Republican and Democratic administrations, that when it come to it came to certain issues, they were very. Uh, uh, clearly supportive of Israel. And I think that's been the case with the aid. The actual aid package, the last aid package we did was with the Obama administration in 2016. And that was- Largest one at the time, right? Right. It was uh, $38 billion over 10 years, and it was signed in September 2016. You know, I was there. And uh, um, that was after we had a huge disagreement over the nuclear deal with Iran. And you could say, despite that disagreement, we were able to work together because I think most U.S. administrations and almost every U.S. administration for now um, several decades has understood the strategic importance of Israel uh, in the region of the Middle East. And to the extent that you don't want to send troops to the Middle East, and I think this is one of the few bipartisan issues you have. They say there's two. It might be certain attitudes towards China on the one side and uh, not sending troops to the Middle East on the other. But if you're not sending troops to the Middle East and you want to make sure that America's interests are protected in the region, then I think Israel grows in importance. And the support that you give us, I think, is a a very good investment in our common security. It's not only critical for Israel, but imagine, you know, if you had another two Israels, another Israel maybe in, in the Middle East, a little further away, and another Israel in North Africa, and you had countries where you were supplying assistance, maybe several billions a year, which is essentially, as I said, to buy American military platforms. And instead of having boots on the ground, instead of having to spend sometimes uh, uh, tens of billions, hundreds of billions, even trillions, think of the money that was spent on Iraq and Afghanistan together, and bloat in terms of blood and treasure, in Israel, we don't ask Americans to fight our wars for us. Uh, and I think we provide an anchor of security in a very, very uh, dangerous region. One of your former secretaries of state said Israel was an unsinkable aircraft carrier in the heart of a region that was very important uh, for the United States. I think we're uh, even more unsinkable than we were then. We're a rising power. Uh, and I think that this investment is an investment in our common security. And so, uh, all I can say that it's is unfortunate that there are certain uh, elements on the fringes of your politics who have a very different view 
Uh, and they may be speaking to a very different constituency. But I think that Israel enjoys, thankfully, very broad support among the American people. And that's reflected uh, in uh, the political leadership on both sides of the aisle trying to uh, support Israel, particularly at this critical time after the horrific events of October 7th. So, Hugh, uh, the there's been a movement on Capitol Hill to put limits on the aid, uh, statutory limits on the aid, ensuring that Israel complies with international law, laws of war, human rights uh, uh, standards. And there's been criticism from the left and and some in the middle of the Democratic Party about what's going on with the humanitarian situation in Gaza. Um, And uh, that has been one of the big undercurrents of this debate. I wonder how you respond to, A, the limits, and B, what do you say to lawmakers who say that this is a humanitarian disaster, Israel's responsible, and we need to hold Israel accountable? Well, I would say, you know, come to Israel and see the facts for yourself, because uh, it would be interesting to know exactly where they're getting their information from. But Israel does comply with international law and does comply with international humanitarian law. And we're taking, I think, greater lengths than other armies uh, have taken in the past, for instance, to get the civilians out of arms way. I, I want, you know, Jake, I was born and raised, as you can hear from my accent, in the United States. And I always my, ask myself. Miami Beach, right? Miami Beach, right. Uh and I always ask myself what I call the WWAD question. What would America do? So I'm, I'm going to put it to you very clearly. And I, what would be the equivalent of October 7th in the United States? So we lost 1,200 people. Your population is 40 times our population. So imagine that you had 50,000 Americans who were murdered on a single day, which would be the equivalent around 2911s. And then imagine we have 250 hostages that were taken into Gaza. Imagine you got 10,000 Americans held hostage and you got thousands of rockets flying into the United States. How do you think the United States would conduct that war against that enemy? I don't think, and I think America has been a great moral power. It hasn't been perfect and uh, we can never judge countries by a standard of perfection. We can always want them to be better, but you have to judge countries how, uh, based on how other countries have handled themselves in times of war. What Israel is doing right now in Gaza is not a war thousands of miles away. It's a war literally in our backyard. They crossed over a few hundred yards to savagely murder all these people on October 7th. I mean, to to rape women, to burn babies, to behead people. They did things. I don't know if you got a chance to see uh, some of the videos that they themselves filmed of these atrocities. And yet we have responded in a way where we are doing everything we can to get the civilians out of harm's way. The problem, Jake, is we're facing an enemy that doesn't just use the civil- their civilians as a human shield as a tactic of war. It's a strategy of war. And what do I mean by that? You probably know the reports that they use hospitals, they use schools, they use mosques, they put weapons there, they have underground tunnels. Here's something that I didn't know until this war. I saw a satellite photo. I, I knew they were digging tunnel sh- shafts and tunnels under schools, mosques, and hospitals. We knew that for a long time, and we discovered them. And I think we've had reporters go in there and to show the world exactly this, this underground terror tunnel network that is vast that Hamas has. What I didn't know, I saw a satellite photo of uh, one year where you see the tunnel shaft. I think it was 2017 or 2018. And then you fast forward to 2022 and there's a school on top of the tunnel shaft, meaning they don't dig tunnels under schools. They build schools over tunnels. Mm-hmm. So their whole strategy is a strategy of using their own population as human shields. 
And instead of just rushing in there, what we're doing is dropping millions of flyers, calling people on phones to their cell phones, get out of harm's way. And we've been able to move the population. Of course, the displacement of the population is always a difficult thing, but it's better than these people being in an active war zone. So I think we have taken great care to get the civilians out of harm's way. Uh, care that other countries have not. Uh, there was a guy, uh, I think it was John Spencer from the Urban uh, War Studies at West Point. And he wrote an article, I think recently from Newsweek, comparing what Israel is doing now to other conflicts. And the most immediate comparison you have, which is not a, a, a perfect comparison, but is Mosul. When you went to the city of Mosul, you had something like 3,000 to 5,000 terrorists there. You did not have a, an underground terror tunnel network. It took you nine months to fight in Mosul. I think the casualties were about 10,000 civilians. The ratio of, of terrorists to civilians was maybe three or four to one. Israel is much, much uh, lower in terms of civilians to, uh, uh, to, to combatants. Now, every civilian who is killed in war is a tragedy. But you don't intentionally try to kill civilians. This is ridiculous. And the calls that you see... Uh, I don't know if it's happened in Congress, maybe by one or two people, but you see that in American cities, like we're perpetrating some sort of genocide. This is absurd. I mean, if Israel's perpetrating a genocide, we're the dumbest genocidal force in history. The Palestinian population is 10 times what it was in 1948. The Gaza population grows year after year after year. We're fighting a very difficult war against a very, very determined enemy. In Mosul, you didn't face any of the terror tunnel network. It took you nine months. We're four and a half months into it. We've gone through this kind of labyrinth, and we've done our best to get the civilians out of harm's way. Now you asked about humanitarian assistance is another issue. So humanitarian assistance, we tried to make sure that the humanitarian assistance can get into Gaza. The problem we have is once they get into Gaza, and I, I should tell you this is not the most popular policy within Israel, because the people in Israel say, wait a second, we've got, we had 240 hostages, but there's still 134 hostages there. Why are we giving assistance to this force? Why aren't we holding a line and forcing them to release our hostages? Well, we took another policy in the government, largely with the leadership of the prime minister, and says, no, we're going to get the humanitarian assistance in. The problem is once you get the humanitarian assistance to Gaza, it has to be distributed within Gaza. And here you have essentially a situation where the terror organization Hamas is taking over the assistance. And it becomes very, very difficult. People are looting trucks as they go through. And we're working to find ways to constantly figure out how we can improve the humanitarian assistance delivery. And it's very hard with the UN organizations that are there. First, and you, you have UN organizations, by the way, that are not these kind of, you think about the UN and an organization and it's unbiased and it's trying to help the people. We saw in UNRWA that 10% of UNRWA, the UN uh, organization, for the grandchildren and great-grandchildren of Palestinian refugees, this organization, 10% of them are Hamas operatives. There are people in this organization, a dozen, maybe two dozen, who, who, who participated in the October 7th attack. So these organizations, who are you working with in, in Gaza? So here I think right. it's been helpful, I must say, to work with the Biden administration to figure out, and they, they've been very active at this from the beginning, I mean, this was something that was very important to the president from the beginning, President Biden. How are we going to get humanitarian assistance and keep ramping it up, keep doing everything to keep uh, to to get civilians out of harm's way? And we've done our best to do it and we'll continue to try to improve it any way that we can. Two two last questions for you, Mark Warner, the 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 
chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, said to us recently that um, the percentage of Hamas tunnels that Israel has been able to take out is, quote, minuscule. Is that is that something you agree with? Don't know what he's referring to, but I will tell you it's definitely not minuscule now. And I don't know at what time. Remember, we're we're four and a half months in. This is not something this is I think not- he said this last week. But yes. So you don't agree with that characterization? No, that like. I, well, it, I don't know exactly what he's referring to and if he has the whole intelligence picture. But what we've seen is we have to very methodically go through and destroy this tunnels. Now, there's about uh, I think it's around 500 kilometers, so about 300 miles of tunnels. So he might be saying, I don't know exactly what he's referring to. It's 50 miles or 60 miles. We have some tunnels are more strategic than others. We are systematically going through areas and destroying the tunnel network. And what I've seen is we've gotten better and better at doing it. It's not even a question of month to month or week to week. It's day to day because we learn as we're going through these areas and you start going to that labyrinth, you start finding different pathways. And we reached the point not that long ago, you may have seen it on the news, where we got to a room uh, that Sinwar, uh, the head of Hamas, was in and uh, they left a lot of cash behind. Uh, and some important information for our intelligence agencies. And it seemed to me like he was trying to get out of there in a hurry. So I think we're getting better and better at getting through that tunnel infrastructure. And if you want to understand also how we're doing in the war in terms of Hamas's military capability, because we have set several goals of the war, destroy Hamas's military capabilities and its political rule in Gaza, ensure that Gaza does not pose a threat to Israel, Uh, in the future and get our hostages home, bring our hostages home. So when it comes to destroying Hamas's military capabilities, just so you understand, Hamas is a force of around 30,000 fighters. Islamic Jihad is maybe another five to 10,000. So at most, you're talking about around 40,000 fighters. Israel has already killed over 10,000, probably around 11,000 Hamas fighters in Gaza. We have also killed um, uh, 1,300 who perpetrated uh, who were involved in that terror attack on October 7th. We also have 2,000 that we've captured. So that's 14,000, all said, of Hamas fighters, Hamas terrorists, who are either being killed or captured. Now, how many are wounded? We don't know exactly. The proportions of killed to wounded in Gaza could be one to five. But even if you're conservative and you say it's one to one, and you've got another 11,000, it means 25,000 people have been taken off the battlefield, and you have 15,000 left. That's an enormous blow. We're getting very close to the point where we have defeated or at least destroyed the vast majority of Hamas's military capabilities. We have taken out 18 of 24 battalions. There are six battalions left. Four of them are in the southernmost part, which is called Rafah, and two of them are in the central camp. So we're on a path to achieving our objective of taking out their military capability. Another capability they have is rockets and missiles. And right now, I'd say that has been destroyed by over 90 percent of their original stockpiles have been destroyed and their manufacturing capabilities for missiles. We've reached the areas because we're physically on the ground. We've gotten in to places which were basically missile factories that Hamas has underground and we've destroyed those. Now you have the tunnel network, which is what I think Senator Warner was discussing That's probably out of those three things, the number of terrorists, the missiles and the tunnels, that's probably behind in terms of how much we've achieved. But as day after day goes by, we're we're dismantling more and more of it. So I think we're in a much better place. And uh, I'll make sure that we 
Uh, maybe after this call, I'll ask the embassy in Washington to send over our, our military attache to give Senator Warner the latest briefing on how we see what we've been able to achieve with the underground uh, terror tunnel network. And I and I think, listen, I think it's been pretty uh, uh, impressive. And, you know, the United States has not faced this. They've not faced such an enemy. The, the, this guy, uh, uh, John Spencer, who wrote the piece, he said the only thing that the United States has ever dealt with that was comparable was actually the Battle of Manila. And I must tell you, you were, you're probably an expert because you're an expert on everything on the Battle of Manila. I'm not an expert on the Battle of Manila, but what he said is at that time, at that time, the Japanese used the sewer system in Manila and had 17,000 fighters. Uh, and the United States, I don't even remember exactly how long it took them, but it came at a cost of 100,000 civilians to defeat the Japanese in the Battle of Manila. We're dealing with a terror tunnel network, as I said, that's 300 miles and in some places goes down 200 feet, yeah. 220 feet. So it's vast and it really takes time. That's why people, there's a lot of people in the region. You, you, you may know this because of your sources and everything, but listen, all of our Israel's neighbors, I'm not going to name them and make things difficult for them. They all want us to defeat Hamas. They also, including our uh, Arab friends in the region. But what they usually tell me is, could you defeat, could you defeat him in three weeks without any civilian casualties? And I tell them, well, get me that Harry Potter magic wand. Let's figure <laughs> out how we can do it because we're in a right. very, we're in a tough battle with a tough enemy. And the the faster we do it, We'll just it'll be more careless, the slower and more deliberate we go, painstakingly going through it, sending our soldiers in, going to this underground terror tunnel that we're doing whatever we can to give civilians the time uh, to leave. Uh, the, the slower and more deliberate we do it, I think the better it's going to be for us and the better it's going to be also for Palestinians who we want to keep out of harm's way. Last question for you. Where, give us an update on the on the hostage negotiations. Where where are you on this? And also, I mean, what do you say? There's a I mean, listen, I there's a lot of um, as a member of the American Jewish community. I understand the the nuances of the um, of uh, and you probably understand them better than most people. But a lot of people have a lot of opinions in America about how Israel should conduct itself and and are uh, feel very free to really? to um, I didn't feel, very, feel very free to express those. But there are people who say, well, let's have a ceasefire now and like get the and like defeating Hamas can wait. You've undoubtedly heard this defeating Hamas can wait, get this, get the hostages out. And um, that's the most important thing. So, I mean, that's a two-part question. Where are you on the negotiations? And how do you respond to a question like that? So the idea that uh, that we could simply stop our military operations and do a hostage deal, that has no basis in reality, because we've seen what happened when Hamas doesn't feel the pressure. You have years and years. We have, uh, t before October 7th, we had two citizens and we had two families and unfortunately the remains of their uh, uh, of their family members were in Gaza. And that's for, you know, the, in terms of the remains was from the war in 2014. And we still have not gotten them out because they didn't feel this military pressure. There's no question in my mind that without Israel going in with the ground operation as we did, not only would we not get in close to destroying Hamas's military capabilities, which we have to do because Hamas is saying they're going to do October 7th again and again and again, but it also helped advance the first hostage deal where we were able to get 80 uh, women and children, including some foreign nationals who were there, a total of, a, of 110 people. At this point, we have saved 114 people. There was a very heroic rescue operation, which I'm sure you know about, about two, three weeks ago, 
where our special forces were in, we're able to save two of them. But I, my own personal view is to to uh, save a, a lot of hostages and to bring them home, you're probably going to have to do a negotiated deal. Um, we were able to do one, and we're actually very appreciative of the United States for its help in that. I have to think, I, I think that the President Biden was critical in that uh, process, especially he, I think, leaned uh, on the Qatari government, which has a lot of influence over Hamas, to ensure that we were able to get those hostages out in the first deal. And where we are now, is I hope we're in a place where we can move forward. It's not clear to me that the other side is there yet because Hamas is also, there's Hamas inside Gaza, there's Hamas outside Gaza, there are the mediators. So it's not clear that everybody's on board, but Israel would like to see uh, a hostage deal to bring these people home. And the sooner we get them home, uh, the better. Now, we're not going to stop trying to achieve our other objectives of the war, of destroying their military capability, ending their political rule, um, and ensuring that Gaza doesn't pose a threat to Israel. Uh, but we have to achieve all those goals. We're determined to do it. We actually see victory in sight on the military side, and we hope that if it means pausing in the fighting, not a permanent ceasefire, obviously, but a pause in the fighting that would allow us to do another hostage deal, then we'll certainly be be overjoyed and we'll be able to bring people back to their families. Minister Ron Dermer, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Thank you. And with that, thank you so much for listening. Subscribe to Punchbowl News at punchbowl.news. Have a great day and stay safe.